one and all, how's it going? This is Minefields. This is Dangerous, and this is Transmission is coming to you. Uh, I'm Colin. This is my best friend in the world, Joshua. How are you doing? Hey, brother. How you doing? Not bad. Had a pretty good day. Uh, did some uh, did some cool stuff at work for a museum, and um, I have another museum project coming up, so I'm kind of excited about those things. Um, I guess... Oddly enough, I can. I, t- I spoke to the director of this piece I'm getting ready to do, and he said, "Yeah, this 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 is actually we're we're kind of making a movie of your mom's book," and I was like, "Dang, really? I mean, somebody probably ought to have told her that, but uh, who knows? I mean, she's she's she hasn't taken a dime for the proceeds of this thing, and this book sold out. And I'm not talking about some pamphlet somebody wrote. This is a full fledged hardback." book about the Civil War in Indian Territory. It's called When the Wolf Came. It's by Dr. Mary Jane Ward. And she, uh, uh, yeah, she wrote this a couple of years ago, and all of the proceeds have been given to the Oklahoma Historical Society, and now they have decided to do a battle reenactment uh, for the Battle of Honey Springs historical site. So there's a uh, brick and mortar museum there, and this this 4D experience will be available whereupon we've filmed it. What you do? <laughs> that's that's awesome, dude. Uh, I, I you never told me your mom's name was Mary Jane. Oh whatever, dude. You knew that when you ate across from her that first time. I was just nervous because it was weird being around someone with like uh, with short sleeves on. So you know. Oh yeah, no, I knew it. <laughs> it was it was one of the first times I, I did that sort of thing, and then. Second off, uh, I had a fucking great day. I woke up, just, I popped out of bed, man. Uh, I met up with my homegirl, Melissa. We, uh, I couldn't get to the comic store because I get to the comic store. I get to work before the comic store opens and I leave after it closes. And I would be a shitty Spawn fan without getting number 300. And she went and stopped <laughs> and bought it for me. And we went and had a delicious Indian buffet at Shiganesh, which is like a block away from my work. Dude, it's fucking rad. I think I might have told you this, but if not, you're gonna shit. If you can't sit, if <laughs> you're you can't, gonna shit. If you can't, well, it's Indian food. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you can't, like, if like, if you sit down, you can't take any food with you. Oh. <laughs> However, interesting. If you, I mean, like a normal buffet. But if you mm-hmm. can't sit down and you just want to take it to go and you don't sit down, you can fill a box with as much as shit you want for like ten dollars. That's fantastic. Man, just, I haven't eaten Indian food in in months. I would just, kill to get some Indian food. You just fill that shit up and then head to work, and then uh, pretend your computer's going real slow and take a couple of bites. <laughs> right. Yeah. That way you can spend most of your break time smoking. But yeah, that's just us at work. But I don't know if I ever asked you this. How do you feel about sushi? Oh, I love sushi. I, I get uh, uh, we get a, a fresh sushi uh, chef that comes in every. Other Thursday, coincidentally on payday, and <laughs> wow, and makes just just starts pumping out rolls, man. Very That's very awesome. Oh, amazing! Great fresh tuna. I mean, like they take a lot of pride in it. It's some of the best sushi I've had in the state. Wonderful, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just found an all-you-can-eat place in Tulsa for twenty bucks. Uh, it's just about two miles from my place, and I really liked it. So, if anybody's interested in knowing about that, you know, whatever, email me. I'll let you know. Um, what are we doing? Yeah, man. We're going to do uh, Star Trek Next Generation Season 5, Episode 16, Ethics. 
No, I mean, spoilers abound, obviously, but if you've seen, you've, you've, if you've seen it before, you've seen it before. Everybody knows that Worf got his back broken at one point, and then he had to deal with it, you know? So this, I don't, this was like out of nowhere. We were like, let's, uh, let's check this one out. There are a lot of interesting concepts to talk about here. So we're, we're going to yeah. have to euthanize. <laughs> it's like, sorry, little Billy. We're going to have gonna, to euthanize Worf. You, we're going to have to euthanize your Klingon. No! Put, put, put the Worf down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, Alexander being a huge disappointment as usual in this episode. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, anything that sticks out to you right off the bat, brother? Like anything that you saw in particular at the auction and the, in the warehouse? Um, you know, yeah, I think we had, uh, we had, Worf is in, he's not in uniform very much in this episode. He's in a lot of what I'm going to call leisure wear or pajamas. And we had, I believe we had those pajamas. There's stuff like that where it's, where Mike and Denise Okuda, who are running things before, they just didn't necessarily think there was a market for some of these things. So they didn't put it in the initial auction, which left it like, okay, hey, not everybody thinks that this isn't cool, you know? Not everybody... They had a good mind for what was really going to work. Like, here's a functional... And by functional, I mean the lights and, you know, <laughs> battery packs work for tricorders or a really high-quality phaser or something like that. But then, you know, what what else... There's stuff like that that were props or, you know, hey, everybody's going to want to try to get Captain Picard's uniform or... Um, I don't know, you know, Worf's Baldrick sash, but is anybody going to be interested in this other stuff? And so they knew that it was a limited engagement and they didn't know if it was going to keep going. So when, when it came down to that, you know, we had all these phone calls like, I bet you guys have a lot of stuff from Enterprise. Well, yeah, that's the most recent show. Of course. And it had, it never really got the opportunity to develop its fan base. Uh, even, even with four seasons in, I think that it was still kind of trying to figure itself out. And uh, to, th- to this day, it's still my favorite production design of any of the series. Um, I'm not going to say Deep Space Nine. I mean, that's nothing to shake a stick at. That's a great show, and the, the production design on that show was incredible. There's just something that appeals to me about that time period and that production design, so that's why I always say that. But, um, you know, yeah, it was like we never we never had... A bunch of leftover stuff it just when we started looking at the really unquantifiable amount of material that there was to try to move it's like okay yeah you know maybe this week Worf's pajamas is something we can make a big deal out of <laughs> when you have a hundred lots of items per week you had to move then uh, uh, putting something out there like that was definitely you know it was name recognition well, there regar- you have it. Regardless, though, like there was a lot of really great uh, extra sets, specifically for this particular episode, that I really enjoyed. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, the the operating room uh, expanded views into Crusher's uh, medical bay. Um, mm-hmm. Her office. Her office. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the crazy thing. You think about it, and I know it's reading into something because it isn't exactly canon, but there are multiple sick bays on the Enterprise. There have to be. Because you've got, you'd have a quarantine zone, you'd have a operating theaters, you'd have just, you know, hey, yeah, here's the pediatrician's office. 
And then you always, you, you know, they, they never made a big enough deal of, out of Dr. Salar. I always thought it was disappointing that they didn't have something where it was like maybe Dr. Salar and Dr. Crusher would be at odds with one another over something. Or maybe here's an episode where whatever, you know, it's just because they, they brought in Susie Plaxon to be Dr. Salar, the Vulcan doctor in one episode. And then the only other time we hear about her is in the battle uh, battle announcements in the yesterday's Enterprise, you know, Klingon War episode. There's an announcement over the intercom, like Dr. Salar, come to the sickbay or something like that. And it's like, oh, my God, you know. But they've done stuff with that character in the books. Just one of these things. There are multiple sickbays, so we never get to see enough of that. Just like we never get to see enough of all the science uh, bays, I guess, or we never get to see more than that little bit of stellar cartography until we get to Star Trek Generations, the seventh movie. So, yeah, man, there's a lot of interesting sets in this episode. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, let's let's get into it. You ready? It's eerily silent. Can you hear me? Now I can. Yes. I don't know what was going on, but damn thing was being weird. All right. Yeah. Let's let's All get right. into it. Okay. Yeah. On engage three. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold oh, on. Oh, you're not ready. Oh, I'm ready. Uh, we're watching on Netflix, guys. Not Hulu. oh, that's right. Remember, remember, yeah. it's uh, uh, better high deafness. I'm at zero zero zero. I am also at zero zero zero, and I have uh, subtitles turned on. I do too. Okay. Uh, all right, ready? Three, two, one, engage. That is a definitely a high def. Oh yeah, Enterprise right there. It's a beautiful, beautiful ship. Yeah, that's what Mike always said. The Enterprise in any form is basically a creature of deep space. It's just not something that made any sense that it could land on a planet. And yet we have these great uh, storyboards indicating the possibility that the original Enterprise would be hovering just above ground level and there would be uh, stairs and gangways and stuff. So one of the things to note about this, when you look at these blue containers, these are life-size, and they're always empty, or maybe they put a sandbag in them just to make sure they stayed in place. But these were just uh, uh, sheet plastic, heat-molded into, into shape. And we had a lot of these in the auction. Uh, if you look behind Jordy's head right there... Oh, man, now stop everything. That's one of the best pictures, one of the best iterations of a tricorder we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Now, if you look... Look back there on that blue container. You see the brown label. Those were uh, lozenge labels, and those actually say Starfleet Material Supply Command. And that was that was my favorite thing. Like you, there was really good information on a lot of those things. There were in jokes on all of them because they just you know it wasn't high def. It was filmed on film. But uh, in other episodes later, um, like in Voyager. And uh, then you get into Enterprise, you started running into situations where you could see crisply what was in the graphic. And if there was a joke, the producers started realizing that. And they were like, no, everything has to be real now. Mm. That guy that was just behind Jordy also, his name is uh, Guy Vardman, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going to make sure that's actually Guy. But uh, he's a total sweetheart. He was uh, the Jordy, or I'm sorry, he was the Data... Uh, hand double, stunt double, not a stunt double. No, he didn't do stunts, but uh, 
and I don't want to, you know, talk out of turn on, on anything that he might be doing now or in the last 10 years, but when I, when I met him and when I knew him, he was uh, doing, he, he had been Data's hand double, and he, I'm going to say, probably uh, was a stand-in for, for Brent Spiner a lot of the time, um, which are different jobs, but uh, anyway, yeah. If you've got a scene where you've got Data's hands flying across a console and that's all you're seeing, that was it would have been his. That's hands. him. Yeah. Did he just had prettier hands than uh, Brent Spiner? No, it was just that he looked. They looked closely matched enough, and it's because when you're filming with your uh, A team or your first team, uh, their time is more expensive to have them in front of the camera, and they've got to maintain their lines and they got to stay in emotional. The emo- they got to stay in the zone to be gotcha. able to uh, yeah to be able to emote properly on screen. And so, if you've got a shot that doesn't require them to be there, get them out of there. Let them go cool off. Get makeup, touch ups, do hair, you know, whatever you've got to do. And that that's the kind of thing that second unit would film anyway. So there'd be a completely different camera unit doing second unit shots, and um, they could get like fifteen or twenty second union shots done in a day or something like that or maybe they need it for special effects or who knows but uh yeah guy vardaman he has a real sweetheart he signed my uh, game card of him they gave him a name eventually it was it's darian wallace so if you look that up on memory alpha you'll see all of his appearances and anytime he ever had a line <laughs> mm. so those drums we were still we were talking about those those blue drums a minute ago uh, what I think it's uh, I'm at a loss right now. There's an episode where you see a bunch of those flying out of the ship because they did an explosive decompression of a cargo bay. I don't know why they'd be sitting in the shuttle bay, but that could have been the case. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm, I don't think it's the episode disaster, but uh, they made model miniatures of those drums that were foam and they were highly detailed because they had exactly the same color paint and then they had the the uh, yellow or brown detail lines painted on just Did, beautiful little things is there a uh, an action figure of Worf getting the, his ass knocked out <laughs> i'm going to say i wouldn't have put it past playmates from uh, making one but i can't think of one off the top of my head okay look at uh, look at uh, uh, Dr. Crusher's lab coat there. She has pockets. Oh. Is that Nobody like a thing? got pockets on this show except for her. And so one of her lab coats that I encountered, there was a, uh, a Twinings name brand Earl Grey tea bag in there that oh, I shit. did not sell in the auction. Did that end up in your pocket right quick? <laughs> I have it in a little Ziploc bag, and I don't really know why. I think it was one of those things where it was stupid little things like that that I would be literally climbing around in. These were two-story racks of costumes. And so you'd have, like, okay, this guy's up here, and then that guy's down there, and then the next bay would have this guy, and the next bay would have the next guy. And that was what was left of that character. Or maybe it was an entire race. Like, here's the Klingon bays, because they were chunkier costumes. You couldn't fit as many in one bay. And uh, Look at her flaunting her pockets. I know, she totally is. <laughs> she, she got away with a lot for some reason when it came to those pockets. But uh, 
You never see her take any props out. You never see her put any props in that I recall, except maybe in, uh, what is that episode? The High Ground, the terrorism episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she jams something in there at one point. But, uh, yeah, I'd climb around, I'd find some crap, and I'd be like, okay, cool, and I'd just throw it in a pocket, and then I would leap down and go to the next thing, and then I would eventually make it back to my office and not realize that I still had something in my pocket at the end of the day, and more often than not, I ended up bringing it back and be like, okay, cool, we can do something with this. But uh, for some reason, a dumb tea bag made it to my house, stayed there, and I didn't realize it until I was moving out of state and the job was already over. I've never seen these props before, or the uh, these set pieces in the background. These machinations. I don't think these... I think they could have been rentals. Rentals, like, from what? Like, some... Uh, from uh, a prop sister? house. Oh, from a prop house or, like, a sister sci-fi show or something? Stands a chance. I mean, in, in Next Generation, you don't have that many wilding pieces like that with just randomly blinking sequential lights and stuff. Uh, but I will say that I can tell that the art department got to go in there and add some next generation-ish elements. Like, if you look immediately to the right of his, well, the Riker's, the right of Riker's head there, you'll see that detail line with that little uh, right angle cut out of it. And that's just kind of, they would right. just go in with auto uh, pinstriping. Right. We, we we can't glance over this part right now. Like this is this is something obviously we ep- saw coming. Like he he yeah, exactly. going to ask Riker for this sort of thing. But the, the the things that really stand out to me in this particular scene is the fact that he asked Riker to do it. Of all the people that he that you would know would say no, he still asked Riker. I wonder if this obviously this was some sort of friendship test. But at the same time, though, uh, would you have, if you were Worf, would you have picked Riker? Yes. I, I I watched this episode and previous episodes, and even one we, we discussed doing the... Uh, well, no, I don't think it shows up in that one now. Uh, in previous episodes... Oh, what what is the one with Riker's father showing up on the ship, and Worf wants to leave with Riker because he thinks Riker's being promoted to captain, and he's going to take that dangerous assignment on yeah. the USS Ares in that, you know unexplored but very well known to be dangerous part of space Worf was like I would do that because I respect you and we're you know we're friends so I used to have conversations with a buddy of mine Jay who lives up in uh, Portland Oregon now he and I would talk about Jordy and Data being friends and best friends and then we talked about who else had friendships on the show because everybody has relationships but Really and truly, what I think that Riker and Worf ended up being best friends. Look how look how odd that spine is. They they even made the the spine Klingon ash the way they did the forehead. I read that earlier, and I was like, yeah. oh shit, they they did. That is a yeah. beautiful hologram. How did they even do that? Is that just a, a, a over overlaid shot? Um, I suppose so. I mean, you can do. It's like split screen stuff almost because they can they can insinuate that in after they shot all of this. So that would have been another. We talked about uh, B unit stuff. So I'm wondering if when we see this thing grown out earlier or later, and it's definitely a molded foam rubber component. I yeah. wonder if that sh- that same prop was used as 
the rotating one we just saw and then insert it into this shot or if they had multiple different ones it's interesting to me because also you know how like you obviously know how uh, comic books are drawn they're drawn larger than we ever see them when they're rendered onto the size of the pages yeah they have to yeah, like you have like you'd have an eleven foot model of the Enterprise, and then you had a four foot model that was easier for a lot of effect shots. So they could have done multiple different sizes of that spine, uh, but then who knows how much time you've really got if you're well, going to try to get this episode in a week. Let's move on from the spine because right now what's important that's going on is that this woman is revealing to her mentor. That she's about to want to do some crazy mad scientist shit with uh, her, one of her best friends. I dig, but I'm not going to say that they, this that there's a mentor relationship here. I think that the opportunity presented itself for Dr. Russell to show up here and do something that she thinks is a furtherance of her uh, abilities. Right, but, she's but she's respect. willing to be experimental, and and Dr. Crusher is definitely like that's just not how we do things. This is well, as a clash. scientist. I mean, just yeah. as a scientist, like you don't just start poking around unless, like, you're you're not Mengele, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Tell everybody who that is in case they don't know. Uh, if they don't know who Mengele is, they should not be listening to our podcast. <laughs> if you, if you that don't does know not mean of... that we are catering to any kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, Nazi excitement. Yeah, we're just saying if you don't know your history. Now, uh, look up Mangala if you guys get the opportunity to. It's a fascinating, horrifying read. Um, why are they on yellow alert? Did I miss something not reading the screen ca- or reading the... Uh... Oh, yeah, they're on their way to a critical situation, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, like shit's going about down. That. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't been reading the subtitles. Look at Riker. God, that acting. I love it when he gets super... Focused on stuff. He truly is an actor, you know? Did you read? I saw uh, one of my buddies repo- reposted something. He's having that, panic uh, attacks. Yeah, he had a panic attack about re- reprising his role as Riker in the new Picard series. I mean, like, could you imagine the relief of carrying that burden to do that well? Continuing it for X amount of time, I imagine it was a huge relief. Okay, it's over. We knocked it out of park. Grand slam. I can relax for a minute, and then all of a sudden you got to face it again? Yeah, I can, I can see that generating a lot of anxiety. Am I still that good? Oh, yeah. Am I still that good? I think that he is an unsung, remarkable actor. I don't know if he ever got an Emmy. It's hard to play up against Patrick Stewart. Yeah, you're uh, fucking right It's hard to that. put These guys all kicked ass. I mean, you look at what the unfortunate reality of Brent Spiner, who was kind of a comic actor... Uh, before this, well, yeah, he was not getting to emote. All that shit. Now, I can imagine, though, that anytime anyone panicked about how to act, they just all, like, just leaned on Picard. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. What do we do here, boss? You act. <laughs> mm. Here we go, here we go. This is one of my favorite things here. One of my favorite things about Picard here. Here's the hardcore truth as a captain and as your leader. And as you're walking away, I'm always going to be like, uh, 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 hold on. Here's here's the secret. <laughs> here's the soft. He, he comes with the, the hard hand, and then he comes back with the soft hand. 
Can you hear me? Ryan Bosnell. Yeah, totally. No, I was just uh, focused in on the circumstances of what was going on. Well, this little kid was that little shit in that Blake Check movie that my sister and I liked so much. <laughs> Blank old. Check, written by Blake Snyder, who wrote uh, um, the Save the Cat books, the only books on screenwriting you'll ever need. It had that, that hot chick from Dumb and Dumber in it as the FBI agent that was, like, hanging out with him the whole time, and it, he obviously really? had a crush in her. And it, yeah, it gave me, gave me hopes that I could, as a 12-year-old boy, totally score with a much, much older woman. And I'm not trying to be a sleazeball here. That's really what it did to me. I suddenly can't think of who that is, but I know she was a, Lauren she Holly. Was a, no, not Lauren Holly. Her name's like really? Karen something. Yeah. Oh wait, she's Charlie the, she was, was the, it? She the MTV VJ. Yep. Oh, she was yep. awesome. Yeah, she fell out of uh, she fell out of the public light for a while she's because got she a had a sickness. health problem. Yeah, yeah. But she she kind of overcame it and found a way to live with it. So she released a autobiography. In, I don't know, like in the early two thousands. This is one of the best parts about Star Trek is when shit gets heavy, all of a sudden they stop being colleagues and start being a true family. Of course, You're right. Was, of course he's going to send Troy, and you know he's going to say it now, but... Oh, wow. See, what I get t- why he would ask Riker and not his son to do this. Yeah. But that's the problem is that that's I I just feel like the unfortunate reality when you and I were talking about it the day before yesterday, right? uh, Worf, when they when they gave Worf a kid, it ruined Worf. And unfortunately, they never that's one of the big failings of this series is that they never truly sorted that out. They never made Worf a dad. Well, I know that he's there's sixth season and seventh season episodes where he's going to try really hard, and those are episodes you haven't seen yet. Well, and, you, uh, hold on, just, hold on. I want to go yeah. back to something you said. I don't want you to glance over it. You said you get why he'd have Riker do it. I don't get it, Mister Fucking Duality, where he's going to be on on a on a starship Enterprise, but still <laughs> adhere to these archaic like caveman esque type. Uh, religious practices he's he's focused on that but then if the ritual is it has to be the son then why did he pick Riker why didn't he, he knew his kid say was too be little but that doesn't matter he's never he's never ever waned in those sort of beliefs it he should have just oh it's got to be the boy sorry like that's the the Klingon way because I'm Klingon I don't I, I don't see him uh, making a different choice so yeah I, I think it's we we should think about why he'd pick. I don't know. It's one of those ideas. I feel Maybe, like needs to be fleshed out. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that's the problem I have with not most of the Wharf episodes, but most of the Wharf and Alexander dynamic is that they it just isn't fleshed out well enough. I feel like when there's father and son scenes. Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, the the minimum scenes that we get between uh, Shatner and Merrick Butrick do do incalculably more work in one movie than we get in an entire series with multiple seasons of Worf and Alexander, and then Jake and Cisco or Jake and uh, yeah Jake and 
uh, Benjamin Sisko in Deep Space Nine, I think they crush as a father and son duo. And they really... They really did good things with their relationship. Um, I mean, The Visitor is my single favorite episode of Star Trek. Uh, I mean, Explorers. I can just rattle off all kinds of good Jake and Jake and Cisco episodes. And if you, got, I mean, hey, MFers, if you if you got a you know contravening concept there, hit me up. I want to hear what you say about it. A lot of people don't like Jake. A lot of people don't like Jake and. And uh, Cisco, and I was kind of surprised. I was on the phone with a buddy of mine, Kyle. Hey, what's up? Last night, and we were talking about how he just up, rewatched Kyle? Deep Space Nine. Yeah, he's uh, he's up to the beginning of season seven, and he was saying that Jake and Jake and Cisco were like his favorite favorite part of it. As a as a writer, it's it's definitely something that really stands out to me that the tension that is consistently being built in this entire episode is phenomenal. I think what, when it, what, it, you know, yeah, it, it'll get you. you. It clenches you up really tight at the end. Uh, and of course we'll, we'll make a point of noting that when we get there, but, uh, yeah, there's a scene where they're discussing things, but they know what's really on their mind and, Oh God, it's heartbreaking. And then, yeah. Then the whole uh, gotcha moment at the end is, even though it's completely obvious, it's totally fantastic. I just, it, the problem I have with this is that we don't, it, maybe it's the direction or maybe it's the idea that he wouldn't be, but I don't see any pain. Like, the pain Dorn is... is not performing this as if he is in any pain at all. And I guess if you've lost the ability to feel everything from a certain point, you would. But, man, I mean, I've been going through all kinds of stuff with this. Uh, I'm experiencing paresthesia in both of my hands. And, yeah, you wake up in pain and you deal with it and then you go back to sleep if you can. Or I'm doing stuff throughout the day and I can trigger it. And it's there. And after a certain point, it's like, okay, I don't want to use this hand for this. Now I got to use this hand. You start feeling other things. So these props right here, I don't know if you guys saw that business that was jammed into that guy's uh, belt or whatever, but Mm -hmm. I saw that prop in multiple episodes of Voyager. It was in Deep Space Nine, um, in uh, Trials and Tribulations. I believe that was the little scanner that Odo has hiding out on Space Station K7. It's just stuff getting pulled around all the time. See, she just pulled... You know what? She pulled that tricorder out of her pocket, and it was upside down, and she flipped it around, like, because she knew that it was wrong. It's just awesome. So, what is it that the other doctor is using? It seems like a more advanced uh, instrument. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very Tony Stark-looking pad compared to... The uh, multi-layered pads we see on the Enterprise. They'd have to use that because she's supposed to represent the future, whether people like it or not. It's going to happen. Good point. Good point. It's going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, we don't usually see anything presented on, on a single sheet of acrylic here. I don't know if that was intentional or... If, it, if that is, that's good direction or it's good writing, one or the other. 
I would have recast her to be someone a little bit younger looking with a much more modern haircut representing more and more what what her ideals are. Yeah, that's not a bad way to go with it. Just but you know, just to present that young upstart. Yeah, exactly. Concept pre- pre- precisely. This is a good scene. This is this is that same cargo bay, almost certainly, and they've just brought in all of these, <coughs> excuse me, legit medical beds. <coughs> the amount of open wounds that have not been treated is interesting to me. See, when you look at all of that, well, that's a crazy thing about open wounds is that, I mean, you can just coat them in some bacitracin, I mean, don't take my word for it. I'm not a medic. But uh, that will uh, act as enough of a barrier between the wound and whatever else might be in the room. Right. And then that's the crazy thing is was Worf acting as though he was or was not in pain? And well, the pain was all mental. The pain, yeah. I mean, like Dr. Crusher could just manage pain. That's part of the business of 24th century medicine. Likewise... When you look at the, uh, when you look at the, I don't know, the background or what, I'm trying to think of the word, it's the roster, Captain Picard is something like 71 years old, and he is absolutely virile, youthful, energetic, his body is not broken down, all of these characters have a better standard of living, so... Also, none of them are married. <laughs> well... They're they're all Starfleet officers, and that goes a long way. When you look into all of these all of these stories, most of these people are at odds with the idea that they would be married for any reason, because they're career driven. It's one of those rare cases too. Doctor Crusher has a pad like we're used to seeing, but she was also using a stylus. Yeah, and stylus wasn't even a thing. We didn't have. Uh, what was it? PDAs? Is that what we called them? Yeah. Like, uh, we've had I, I technology since the... Huh? I just remember being that... that what was it? That It was a Palm, palm Pilot? Palm was that, was Pilot, that what it was? yeah. Was that what that was? That's what we're saying. We Since this show came out, since this show has been off the air, that there there are technological items that have come into our collective consciousness and left because they've been overwhelmed by something greater pretty much uh, smartphones those windows it's kind of amazing that there's any junk under that desk in the background mm-hmm. under that table but like I guess stored anywhere other than where it should be yeah that as a set, as a set design person antagonizes me because it just doesn't make sense for that set but you can't just grab some cabinet that has you know doors and suggest that it's there sometimes you have to busy the shot that makes sense that's funny like there's there's so much tension going on in terms of what the the actual enterprises uh, mission is right now, but the, what really matters to everyone, They're, despite yeah. what, what, all these people that are hurt, is just one dude that means the fucking world to them. I guess that's kind of the thing: is that what's a manageable injury and what isn't in the 24th century? Those people were all suffering and in pain, 
and that was something they could do something about. But then Worf is something they can't. Here we go. Here's the test. We definitely had that uh, Klingon robe. But I never saw any of these crazy iridescent blankies. (laughs) Space blankets. Exactly. (laughs) You want it to look like the future? Make it shiny and iridescent. It's a space blanket. I wish that... I don't know. Riker doesn't have to have so much flourish to why he's not going to do this. I think that this... I mean, I know it's TV... And I know it's also Star Trek, but at the same time, I don't know why he couldn't come in there and just sit there and explain it to him. Because in the end, Worf has to live with it. What is that techno penguin in the background? I don't remember seeing that before. (laughs) I've never seen that before, because I don't think I ever... Well, I'll tell you, with the sound on, this is a whole different show. (laughs) Yep. Asha. Oh, man. He threw Tasha in his face. Do you see him cringe on that? Yeah. That hurts everybody. Unfortunately, you know, as much as... As many times as they brought her back for one reason or another, and as much as it pains me to think that Denise Crosby did not feel like there was any direction or any furtherance of the character enough that she was like, I'm going to leave the series. They did it. It was a gutsy move to have her killed and then to use that in a repeated fashion. But what you'll notice about that episode, Skin of Evil, the one where Tasha Yar is killed, um, the injuries on her were very spacey and futuristic because Gene Roddenberry didn't want to be a bloody show. And he basically said, no, let's do something that's, uh, that's more daring and less special effects. And, because they just had that weird little makeup effect on her face to indicate that she had a, that an injury. Yeah. But then they got away from that in a second because you saw all those injuries a minute ago. It's just totally different. They they took a chance, and they were like, you know what? Hey, we rolled the dice. Nobody gave us any grief, and then we just decided that sucked, and we were going to make it look real. Here's Riker proving my point from earlier. Or maybe he just thought that the boy wouldn't be able to do it in the first place. You know, I. You haven't seen a critical episode of Deep Space Nine that pertains to this episode. But when we get there, I'm going to refer back to this, and you're going to. You're going to realize the parallels. Does it have anything to do with Alexander being a huge disappointment? No, I'm afraid not. (laughs) I hate those Klingon bowl haircuts. It's so, it just it just brings me these cringy memories of having a bowl haircut in the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. Klingon customs. 
his uh, prosthetic teeth definitely help with his inflections. Yeah, they look really good. It's just tragic sometimes to see how straight, clean, and bright his bottom teeth are. <laughs> So yeah, right there, that image of Alexander holding the knife. If anybody ever played the uh, Star Trek customizable card game by Decipher, uh, that was the image that they used for Alexander. So yeah, my 10-year-old wondered at that because he saw that game card and he didn't understand it. He hadn't, he hadn't encountered any episodes with Alexander in it yet. And he wondered what was going on in that image. Like, why does this little boy have a knife? And uh, I kind of got to explain it to him a little bit, but uh, we didn't end up watching the episode. He wanted to watch Deep Space Nine. I love this ensign. Nurse Ogawa. Yeah, she's awesome. They do a lot with her for this series, but not as much secondary character work as you're going to get out of Deep Space Nine. Is she in Deep Space Nine? No, she's not. I'm just saying that when you get to Deep Space Nine, the secondary characters are through the roof. They are all important. They all have amazing, entertaining stuff to do that is in some ways more exciting than anything that the uh, 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 A-team on the show is doing. Does he pick Troy because, A, he knows that she'd be the best mom and that he would be trusting with her, or because, A, or B, that she was one that, like, had a child stolen from her? Dude, that's an amazing question, and I don't know the answer to that. I think that Worf and Troy have an interesting relationship that is not usually a therapy-based relationship. Though in this instance, I mean, she's more or less caring for Alexander rather than Worf as much as she'd like to be caring for Worf. But I think you're going to be surprised in season six and seven where what, what their relationship turns into. But at least there's like a really decent catalyst. Right. She's such a strikingly beautiful woman. Dude... Yeah, uh, without blowing anything for you, I would recommend looking at the DVD featurettes on Star Trek Nemesis that are specific to Marina Sirtis because she... I, I listened to them on YouTube the other day while I was cleaning or something like that, and uh, it's just her talking about her entire time on the series and what it was like to go from this show immediately into the first next generation movie. And then, uh, all of these funny reminiscences she has from like insurrection and stuff. She's so great. How many cameras can they fit into this room? Did you see, you saw the, the wide show. Oh, plenty. What what they did, what they did. Okay. That's the master. So that would have been the master. And this is a, Gosh, I mean, I'm going to say it's a one-camera show, but they... So what they did, that this is a multiple-part sequence here. You have your masters, and then you, you've you got this special, 
You know that's not Michael Dorn, right? That's what it's I was talking stunt, about when we're talking about second. It's, it's probably his stand-in. His stand-in is a different thing than a stunt double. Um, but this is the hold on. Right, this is this is the master of this shot. It's a two shot of Picard, Riker, and Picard. And then you're going to see they're going to punch in some side shots to make it into. There you go. There we go. There we this go. is. But what are we so, really thinking about right now? My <laughs> yeah. God! I mean, these are beautiful shots of these men right here, and not because I'm not saying I'm just saying this is fantastic cinematography. We never get that close to them. Look at that prop. That's beautiful. It's wet. It is. Well, they probably covered it in Vaseline or literally KY. Or just the fact that we're using practical special effects is beautiful. Oh, I know. That would be CG in a lot of stuff. But it also, I can see the, the way that it's painted. It is very TNG. So this is all the same camera changing positions and changing lighting setups for each of these motivated lights. This is beautiful because Toby Russell's face was lit on the right side of her face in the last shot when we were seeing her from Beverly's perspective, and then now we're still seeing the light motivated from the same side. That's good gaffing. That's, that's what the gaffer does. Cool. And also, you know, the grips are totally involved in that. Here's another awesome shot. So this is a tracking shot. So they either would have done that. When you see the movement of the camera, this is either done on a dolly. So the camera is on a little rail car, for lack of a better word, and it's on a track. Or that could have been done with sliders. And sliders, I think, are a lot less expensive and more frequently reoccurring these days. This is wonderful. This is awesome. I assume the reason the where they're not wearing surgical masks is only because they could show the their yeah. facial inspections and this isn't mash for one thing. Yeah. And for another, they don't have to be a million percent uh realistic here because it's twenty fourth century medicine. And what's more, you can imagine that there are probably like screens or force fields or something that's keeping them from coming into contact or keeping anything that they're breathing or particulates, eyelashes, etc. I mean, if you want an amazing modern surgical bay in a movie, go back and look at Doctor Strange because that stuff at the beginning is fan-freaking-tastic. Boy, that sequence of lights going on and all of these you're, things you're, is just intense. Mind. Yeah. You read my mind. Yeah, this 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 is just all high tension. This is perfect. But it's not to the point where it's uncomfortable to watch. See, I wonder much. about this. Did somebody say, like, and we can find this out. I would re- highly recommend anybody that wants to know more about this. There's information to be found on Memory Alpha, but also... Go somewhere. Go to your local used bookstore because it's going to be hard to find this new. Find Larry Nemechek's Star Trek The Next Generation companion. Read some back history on this. I mean, 
There's production notes for each episode, as well as a wonderful summarization. Larry Nemechek, native of Norman, Oklahoma, who also has a show on uh, Facebook that he's doing. It's uh, called Trek Tuesdays. Check it out. You'll see him doing performances and talking about Trek-related stuff. But the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion is one of the reasons I got into filmmaking, and I had the had the opportunity to tell him that. Um, so what I'm see what we're seeing here is this whole business of like, uh, never mind. I mean, you don't need me to tell you what's going on. Yeah, this You're translates well from. Display. Yeah. Wow. I'm here to clean your mess up, bitch. You better hope this <laughs> this works. You're going to get your goddamn research, but all I want is my friend. All it. Wow. Did you see this when it first came out? Oh yeah, absolutely. How, how how long was point A right now to point B in five minutes? How long was that for you? Did you really think it was over? I I, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know how. I mean, what was this? Nineteen ninety two or something like that. Ninety one. This is the last show filmed in nineteen ninety one. I, I, what, what I remember is not remembering and then watching this as a rerun and this part crushing me. Look at her crying. Yeah. I don't, I just don't think that that's acting. I think that, well, I mean, that's acting, but I think that she really whipped those tears up for, for real. Her eyes are definitely the right temperature. So I would, yeah, I know what I was going to say a minute ago. I'm sorry to break up the emotion here, but I mean, nobody's actually watching this with the sound on, probably. The the business of what we're seeing here is like, I want to know now, and the information is out there, did somebody say, let's do an episode where Worf has to question his ability to go on as a warrior? Or let's do an episode about... Uh, assisted suicide because that was a huge deal in the Kevorkian, 90s yeah jack kevorkian and all of that and then uh or did someone say you know what if we could do let's do a medical themed episode and then what could we do with that what's the catalyst for this you know but that's a writer's room because this is three different stories i mean i honestly this is this isn't a a, this is a huge science episode, a medical science episode, but it's also not, you know, spacey, necessarily. That's a good way to put it. We can start classifying things a little bit more specific. This is a science episode as opposed to a record gets laid episode or is, <laughs> is getting questioned by true Klingons episode or... Ha 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 ha. 
I mean, that's the kind of the amazing thing is that you'll get episodes of the show where it's like, okay, hey, yeah, well, Jordy or Data would have this figured out in ten minutes, so let's <laughs> yeah. make it happen to the Doctor. The Doctor's the one who got pulled into a static warp bubble and can't find her way out, and the universe is shrinking, or... <laughs> Data, or uh, Data and Jordy figure out in ten minutes. <laughs> that's Data and Jordy, yeah. <laughs> That's like the episode I'm talking about uh, that's the catalyst for some stuff later. It's like, okay, let's have this happen to Worf. He's not going to realize that he's in parallel realities or anything like that, you know? <laughs> no. I like the episode Schisms. Yeah, let's, that, let's have this happen to Riker and Worf and some unnamed lieutenant uh, or ensign and some civilian on the ship. They're not going to be the ones who figure it out. They have to figure it out together, you know, that they're being abducted by aliens. Uh, it's crazy to be abducted by aliens on a spaceship. It's incredible. And they pulled it off. It's just... A, it just So many brilliant writers attached to this series and every other Trek series, for that matter. I guess this is the ultimate question, and they ask it in Star Trek multiple times. Do the ends justify the means, you know? Uh, in order to understand that, we must violate the Prime Directive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gross Klingon feet. What are those horns he's got growing out of him, I wonder? When you look at Klingon boots, you see those those horns on a lot of them and uh i wonder if the uh klingons used to have some kind of a a claw sticking out there i've actually wept openly because of that line yeah that, that's that's pretty the first time my dad asked me for help it was a big fucking deal like, it, it was a big fucking deal. And not just, like, mow the lawn, no, when he needed help. It was a, you're, yes, sir, exactly. They're, yes, sir, yes, sir, no questions asked. We're doing this. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I like grilling every weekend with him is because when I was a kid, the only person that touched that fucking grill is my dad. And now mm -hmm. now I've got full access, and I'm the one that does, does all of it. And, man, that was... That was heavy, man. That That's was a tough episode, yeah. But uh, but let's let's talk about the before we we wrap up. The, there's a reason why it's called ethics here, and it's yeah. And it's not just it. Just uh, I'm gonna do the uh, uh, the, the recap. <laughs> what I learned now. Everyone had problems with ethics here. Picard had problems with his ethics of whether or not he should tell Riker what he should or should not do as a captain or as a friend. But he figured mm -hmm. out a way to walk the line. Um, Deanna had to work the, walk the line with ethics when it came to whether or not she was going to tell, hey, your dad believes in a bunch of crazy, weird bullshit right now, and we're trying to get his ass to calm down so we can figure it out, and that's why you can't see him yet. And, uh, of course, uh, Beverly with the new doctor, who is grossly crossing the lines and I don't, I don't want to say she was playing God but she certainly was using other people's loved ones for her own advancement 
Whether or not she wanted to admit it, even though, yeah, in her head she she's thinking, like, you know, this is for the advancement and betterment of, of all Klingons or, or any sort of a, a surgical... Uh, whatever, you know, procedure or more knowledge on the, on the Klingon body than we've ever known. Uh, she was still in it for, for, for that. And, uh, who else do we have struggle? Of course. And then, you know, Riker, whether or not do I, do I honor my friend's wishes and, and murder him? Like, but at the same time, all crafted with a finely tuned netting and, uh, scaffolding of tension that is not too uncomfortable and character development. Uh, I actually started really liking Alexander for the first time in that episode, despite the fact that he's a huge disappointment. And <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. No, it's all right. <laughs> and it's the unfortunate recurring theme, you know. Yeah, but even then, and then you've got Crusher because Crusher's always been like, "I can do this, no problem. I can figure it out. We got this done." This is one of the first times I've seen Crusher been like, "I don't know the fuck I'm doing." Like we're yeah, we're, I mean we're screwed. Hey, Doctor Crusher is an amazing amazing doctor with a lot of skill but she's not a proctologist she's probably not a podiatrist she's probably not a dentist on a galaxy class starship with that many people on it it would make sense that those specializations are available but i guarantee there's a chiropractor and it was out of their league also you know what i mean I, I, I really like it also from the fact that you can tell this was a huge exercise in acting for the actual for the actual cast and crew. Uh, for example, for the crew, the gaffing got the lighting just perfect. Just it, everything everything flowed just well in a room. I know from a little I know about film productions, but how much of a pain in the ass it was probably to film in that small ass little little uh, section that's now the operating room. And then oh, also, it was the center of the sick bay. Unfortunately, that wasn't some. Uh, you've got the sick bay where you've got that, and I'm sorry, I mean, don't mean to jump you, but like that kind of scalloped formation of sick bay beds, and then you've got the uh, the other, you've got that like center examination table they use over and over again. So unfortunately, right. that wasn't a new set, but they doctored it up to make it look. And that's that wasn't even a pun. God, I keep making puns without even trying. <laughs> um, they they built that one out to make it look like it was an operating theater. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. No, that's all I really got on that, man. It's just that that's my takeaway. Is it's it's definitely something that needs to be questioned and studied from all points of view, not just whether or not Worf lived or died. Oh man, as a series episode, yeah. Like I love what you. I love that you appreciate the lighting. I I, I appreciated those camera shots. I appreciate. I mean, you. Can, I mean, there's so many different fascinating angles of camera work in this episode. I really like the scene between Picard and Crusher in her office. I like all of those scenes outside of the office because that's a tighter area to film in. And I know those weren't necessarily wilding walls, walls that could be easily pulled away so that they could fit more cameras or light there. Uh, lighting uh, fixtures and stands and bags and cables and you know distro boxes or whatever they had to do. So there's, I mean, they really shot the hell out of that ship. We were, I think, in almost every standing set on the ship that wasn't crew quarters. And uh, they just, God, I mean, this is, this is way more of an expansive episode than I ever gave it credit for in the past. Dude, we've, t- we've had a pretty good, 
uh, run on organically picking things that have that we never saw coming. Whether or not it was just a fun little episode like Data's Day, or oh, even yeah. uh, what was one of the ones we pulled out of our ass that we didn't realize that had so much good content. Um, oh, what was the court one? Uh, the drumhead. The drumhead. That one was a you. That one was a challenge, and that one, it actually, it sounded like a challenge, but the second we got into the nitty-gritty, it was like there was no stopping us, and... I know, I think we, we uh, all of our friends and listeners and, and every, our subscribers, we, uh, we like to, we, we talk for a few minutes before we get ready to do something like this, and we talk for a, a minute before we get into the comics and the wrestling, and then we start realizing, no, 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 wait, I want this to be more authentic, so when we get there, I mean, let's just start talking about this in the show, and so yeah, we'll spend some time on that, and I think that was one of the things, is that was what happened tonight, and that's what happened for sure when we did the drumhead, was that we were, you know, sitting there, t- I don't know, I don't know, and I was like, oh, wait, no, this is going to be something, like, oh, I can't wait now, because things just got more and more exciting, talking about what we were perceiving, and then, uh, as opposed to, like, doing Redemption, where it's like, dude, there's a big surprise, you're going to love it, and it's just one of those things, where there are different types of, uh, different types of commentary that we can get into, so, Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even as opposed to doing that episode where uh, Wesley and his buddies at Starfleet are in trouble, that would have uh-huh. been easy. Now, yeah. uh, obviously, you guys are tuning in because you enjoy what we're saying, but one of the things I really want is for one of y'all or a bunch of y'all to just, to okay, so to, to capture, well, one of my, one of the things I really want to capture is that it's Friday, time to watch some fucking sci-fi, the way, the way it should be. It's Friday night. You're at home, you might not have a date, but that doesn't matter. Now it's okay to have, you You could probably get a date and watch some sci-fi as opposed to back in the day when we actually chose sci-fi over women, even though women were not flocking to this sort of stuff. But it was I a might wor- still be doing that. Yeah, it was a <laughs> wonderful thing to be up late, like, uh, watching sci-fi, uh, playing Doom on your 46, <laughs> and, or, or sketching, and I really hope that, that some of y'all are out there like, man, I need some sci-fi inspiration, and we're coming at it as writers, and, uh, you're a production designer, uh, set dresser. Uh, I'm an artist, painter, uh, photographer. We're, 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 we're everything. We, we, we certainly hope that we can set a fire in your ass and, you know, inspire some good writing and some collegiate level discourse. Cause that's really what collegiate level English classes are like is this sort of back and forth, except, uh, it's free and it's about something you actually like. There you go. But that's all I got for for this episode, man. It's 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 a Friday night. This will be coming out uh, for you on September the sixth, and we certainly hope you enjoy it because we we enjoy making it for you guys. You got anything left for these MFers? No, I mean, uh, you guys, when you get the opportunity to, don't just stop the episode because it's over. Look at the credits. Uh, you're going to see, like, the same... I always thought it was crazy because I would see Richard D. James, and I always thought that was funny because that's the Aphex twin, but, you know, it's a different guy. It's not the same yeah. guy. And it was front and center in, in the credits, and then I always saw Mike Okuda and Denise Okuda, and I was like, I wonder if they're related. Well, they're married. And it was just these dumb things like that, but, like, get in there and read who the, what those credits are, and then take the time and be like, okay, well, what does a key grip do? Go in and check that out. And if you don't know, ask me. I would love to answer you. Um, 
really and truly, one of these days we're going to get into watching uh, one of the feature films and we will go nuts into all of those scenes and stuff like that. And then we can talk about some of the more dynamic, cinematic shots that we get out of uh, get out of a feature film because there's more time to set it up. And uh, there you have it. But um, yeah, that's all. I mean, yeah, uh, apart from that. Educate yourselves a little bit on what the film industry does, because that's my primary industry, and I love it, and um, it ruins me, and it kicks my ass, and it simultaneously is the most gratifying work that I've ever done in my life, and uh, it's a wicked taskmaster, but um, that's that's part of the reason I know what I know, so there you have it. Check out what those uh, what that's all about, and I'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon, all right? Over and out. Over and out.